Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today we will be talking with Dana Ullman, who is the president of the Foundation for Homeopathic Education and Research, and we will be diving into what is homeopathy and how can it help your body to detox. We also talk about different options you can do for the flu season instead of getting the flu vaccine, which is only about 20% effective. So if you are interested in different ideas to improve your immune system to fight back against the flu, this is also a good episode for you. So let's dive right into my conversation with Dana Ullman. Dana Ullman is one of the foremost spokespersons for homeopathic medicine. He has authored several books, including Discovering Homeopathy, Medicine for the 21st Century, and The Homeopathic Revolution. He is the president of the Foundation for Homeopathic Education and Research. Thank you, Dana, for coming onto the show. My pleasure, Brian. Real pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on to talk about homeopathy, but I want to learn a little bit more about you. So if you can go into your background and let us know what got you into homeopathy in the first place and uh, just tell us a little bit about your story, that would be super helpful for us. Sure, sure. Well, I come from a medical family. My father was a pediatrician and an allergist, Uh, a little bit cosmic that he'd be an allergist because an allergy, they use small doses of whatever you're allergic to, to build up your body's um, ability to uh, be desensitized to that substance. And in homeopathy, we also use this principle of whatever a substance causes, it cures. And we also use smaller doses, but we even use smaller doses than allergists use these days. And uh, though being a child of the 60s, we may, uh, may do things like our parents, but with a major twang. And so I got interested in homeopathy when I was a junior at UC Berkeley. Uh, as it turns out, a group of people began studying homeopathy together, and it grew to become three doctors, two nurses, a dentist, a male midwife, a couple of yoga teachers, and several lay people. And we, we met weekly for five years. And... Um, I became real passionate about homeopathy. I liked its highly systematic and scientific nature. And at the same time, it's artful nature because in homeopathy, if you have a migraine and I have a migraine, that doesn't mean we're given the same remedy because we have vastly different symptoms of your migraine to my migraine. And, you know, I, I thought that conventional medicine, even though it claims to be scientific, it's grossly unscientific and to assume that just because people have similar diseases even though they can have vastly different ways they have their disease that they somehow should be given the similar types of treatment seemed really ridiculous but more important than that it just didn't respect that inner doctor inside each and every one of us and i'll talk about that later So, you know, uh, at one point in my career, however, I was arrested for practicing medicine without a license at the tender age of 26. 
after I'd been involved with homeopathy for about five years. And we actually won the case. And, you know, it, it actually stimulated me to more fully engage more in homeopathy. Um, so, you know, I've been at the beginning of this homeopathic movement and alternative medicine movement and what was originally called the holistic health movement uh, since the early 70s. Um, and um, I've seen a lot of integration into the field. Um, I've, besides writing 10 books on homeopathy, I've also written four chapters in four different medical textbooks, two of which Oxford University Press has published, and one that was published by the leading pain medicine organization. So I, I try and build bridges whenever we can, um, uh, because the bottom line is, is that the most famous words in all of medicine are those words by the the father of medicine, Hippocrates, who said, first, do no harm. And all too often, our doctors uh, don't uh, respect that word first. And they rush into very powerful medications, uh, often multiple medications, so multiple that uh, according to uh, uh, research, it suggests that every man, woman, and child in the United States was prescribed 13 prescription drugs a year. And if you didn't get your 13 prescription drugs, the sad news is that someone else got them for you. So um, in some, you know, that, that covers some of the bases of introducing myself to you out there. Is homeopathy relatively new or has it been around for a long time? Uh, it's been around for a couple hundred years. I mean, the basic principles of homeopathy were written about even by Hippocrates, that uh, Hippocrates was a medical historian who wrote about different ways that people were engaging in medical practice. And using this principle of similars of like to cure like was one of the methods. But it really wasn't until the late 1700s and early 1800s that a German physician and pharmacist named Samuel Hahnemann began to really make homeopathy into a system. And that medical system that he developed was based on experiments on himself and whoever else began to follow him, where they began taking small doses of different toxic substances until that substance developed specific symptoms in them. And they would write down the idiosyncratic symptoms that a substance would not just cause a skin rash, but a specific type of skin rash that might be sensitive to heat or cold or might be better by or worse by itching, that might be with indigestion or might be with a headache. And so every substance has its own unique syndrome. And then once you know what a syndrome a substance causes, you, when you interview a sick person, you find that we each have not just a specific disease, but we have our own syndrome of that disease. So by matching the medicine with the person's syndrome, you begin to create a, a, a healing response. And the reason why it is a healing response is for those of us that believe in evolution, and I hope that is the vast, vast, vast majority of us, that our symptoms are not just the result of breakdown, but our symptoms are efforts of our body-mind to survive. And because our symptoms are efforts of our body and mind to survive, 
looking for a medicinal substance that mimics that effort helps stimulate the body's immune and defense system to create a real healing. Because all too often when we use conventional drugs, they work against the body's symptoms. The whole idea of, of so many conventional medicines is they're antagonistic to the wisdom of the body. And although these drugs provide short-term relief, you need to continue taking them in order to continue to suppress the body's symptoms and thereby suppress the body's immune system and thereby create a more uh, serious body of, of immune and neurological problems, let alone mental health issues. And when you really look at the side effects of most conventional drugs, they're often worse than the disease the person's getting treated in the first place. And that's right. because they don't really cure. They all too often simply suppress the symptom, suppress the disease, and create a much more problematic and long-term problem than really solving issues. So if I'm understanding correctly, what you're doing in homeopathy is you are looking at the symptoms and you're trying to find more of the root cause, correct? Well, the root cause, we, we, we never know in homeopathy what the root cause is because, for instance, it, it, we all too often think that a bacteria or virus causes disease. And it's a really, um, uh, it's hard to deny that. But it's easy to deny it when you know the following facts. Because right now, almost all of us have streptococcus in, in our throats. And many of us have pneumonococcus in our bronchioles. We all have cancer cells in our body. But what doesn't, what, what happens is our immune system keeps this at bay. So what we don't know precisely is why some people get some diseases and other people don't. And what we understand in homeopathy, of course, is, is that there are different stresses to our body and mind and, you know, what we eat, um, uh, our degree of exercise, what we breathe, what we drink. Um, these different factors, you know, lead to certain weak links in our body. But, you know, our, our, we might have it, but our brother might not. Um, and uh, so in homeopathy, we look at the susceptibility factors, and we look to reduce different uh, stresses, but it's not just enough to reduce stresses. What we do in homeopathy is prescribe these nano doses, these really small doses of medicinal agents from the plant, mineral, or animal kingdom to, that strengthen the person's immune defense system so they're not as susceptible to um, problems that we may experience in terms of stresses in our uh, environment or stresses within ourselves. Okay, so that means you are looking at more uh, like the broader range of symptoms, whereas conventional medicine, they take a symptom kind of like what you mentioned earlier. If someone has a headache, then I'm going to give you um, this medication. Homeopathy, if you have a headache, but then you also have this factor going on, this factor going on, then you have some kind of remedy that you can use to strengthen the immune system right. to then be able to. Okay, That's right. perfect. That's right. So, um. Then with homeopathy, do you have like a wide range of um, homeopathic remedies that you can pick from similar to what like uh, 
functional medicine practitioner might have with like nutrients or supplements or something like yeah. that. Actually, we use literally thousands of different substances from the plant, mineral, animal, and chemical communities. Uh, we use snake venoms and spider poisons um, it, because wow. what what the whole system is based on is uh, – in a certain sense, toxicology. Once you f determine what a substance causes an overdose, then you know that substance has an affinity to that complex or syndrome of symptoms. Then if a person happens to have, for whatever reason, that similar constellation and syndrome of symptoms, by giving a nanodose of that substance helps the body to heal. It's sort of like turning into the skin. It's sort of like enabling the body to um, make use of that symptom. I mean, when you're having a fever, that's your body trying to in, uh, burn out infective organisms. And during a fevered state, the body then naturally secretes this antiviral chemical called interferon. And if you take aspirin or Tylenol or any fever reducing agent, you're, gonna, you're not going to be as able to fight that viral infection because the body's not going to be secreting that interferon as easily. So the worst thing you can ever do when you have a fever is take a fever-reducing drug. And that works on a lot of different levels, not just with fever-reducing drugs. The, the bottom line is the whole field of uh, corticosteroids. Those work specifically by suppressing the body's immune system. So they're wonderful if you need to suppress your immune system for a really short period of time. But once you begin doing that beyond a couple of days, you can create for yourself or for a dear loved one some serious chronic health issues um, because it just simply pushes that acute ailment into our deeper a deeper, more chronic state and can create lifetime and long time illnesses. So I know like if an herbalist is creating a tincture, then the tincture is going to have a, a very high dose of whatever substances are in the herb or herbs that they use to create that tincture. So how do you extract the, the substances from these plants, minerals, or animal products and then be able to convert it into a nanoparticle, so not very much of that uh, uh, extraction, so that you can then use that in your uh, homeopathic remedies. Well, let me first explain why nanodoses work and why they actually can work more powerfully than larger doses. Uh, because at first blush, I mean, those of us in America tend to have this thinking process, is the stronger the dose, the stronger the effect. Well, uh, that doesn't work that way all too often because these stronger doses basically bully the body. They push the body to do certain things. And guess what? We could not have survived as long as a species unless that doctor inside each and every one of us was brilliant. And that doctor inside of us is brilliant. And in the process of healing ourselves and defending ourselves, our human body creates symptoms. And the symptoms, therefore, aren't the problem. Our symptoms are actually our effort to heal. So instead of suppressing that effort, 
by giving a substance that mimics their body symptoms, our body develops a hypersensitivity to that substance. So much so that giving a really, really, really small dose can have a very dramatic effect. And there's good reason why vaccines are based on this principle. Vaccines are based on giving a small dose of what might cause a problem to stimulate an immune response. But here's some else to, important other things to know. Our blood-brain barrier is at the base of our brainstem, and it is it doesn't let large or complex molecules into the brain as a way to protect the brain. But when we use these nanodoses, it's not only able to, to sift through the blood-brain barrier, but individual cells, membranes themselves. And the membrane of any cell is not a wall, it's a membrane. It's so it lets certain things in and doesn't let other things in. And when you give a larger complex molecule, the cell membrane locks down. It doesn't let that larger complex molecule enter it. But that larger complex molecule just bullies the cell to do stuff. And the same thing happens with that blood-brain barrier. So the nanodoses are able to sift through these fine membranes and get inside the cell and then create a more um, immune response. Now, just to let you know, um, in homeopathy, the homeopathic manufacturers are regulated by the FDA. And in order to make a homeopathic medicine, they have to be deemed by the FDA to be a drug manufacturer. So a practitioner does not make up any medicines. He or she, he or she may dispense them and he or she may buy them in liquid and then take it out of liquid and then give it to the patient in another liquid bottle or may drop them onto pellets. Uh, but a homeopathic practitioner we may dispense a medicine but not actually manufacture it because the manufacturing is a really complex process that requires a hyper clean environment and um and that simply doesn't exist in most practitioners offices so you know they find the plant mineral animal or chemical they dilute it and and then they shake it vigorously, the manufacturers. They dilute it again, either 1 to 100 or 1 to 10, and, and, and shake it vigorously 40 times. They dilute it again. And they'll do this three times or six times or 30 times or 200 times or 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 or more times. And in 200 years of experience by homeopaths, of patients that yeah, today, you know, homeopaths are seeing hundreds of millions of patients. And when you count that up over the last 200 years, that's a lot of patients. And we consistently have found that the more our, our medicines undergo this process of dilution and shaking, the longer they act, the deeper they act, and the less doses are needed. So typically, when I prescribe a homeopathic medicine that's been diluted 1 to 100, even 1,000 times, I'll just give one or two doses of it. It's not something I would tell the patient to take, oh, to, to tell them to take every four hours, because there's such a powerful catalyst to the body's immune system, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't need it. It doesn't need that. What you need is a spark, and that spark creates 
uh, a whole body uh, uh, and cascade of immunological reactions that the patient experiences. And, you know, it's like a patient that I saw today. And after this homeopathic medicine, this is a woman that has had headaches throughout her entire life, and she's in her 60s. And she gets nausea, and she has to take some painkillers, and, you know, she gets constipated. And she said that, that she noticed that, the, uh, that she didn't need to take painkillers, but she's still been getting her headaches. So that the headaches have been coming, but they haven't been as bad. But to be honest, when a patient says that to me, I wonder if it's simply a placebo effect. So uh, I, I asked her about some of her other symptoms. She, she told me that she wakes up most nights around three to four in the morning. Uh, and I asked her about her sleep. What's been happening there? She goes, well, I've been sleeping through the night. And I said, wait a minute. You've been sleeping through the night? She goes, yeah. I said, well, then you've just convinced me this is not a placebo because you cannot will yourself to sleep through the night if for whatever reason your body mind gets up at three or four in the morning. Now, mind you, she, she usually, after waking at three or four, she's usually able to go back to sleep again. But the bottom line is, is that there was some type of profound physiological effect that not only reduced her headaches, that not only reduced the nausea that she was having with her headaches, but improved her sleeping. So, you know, I always monitor myself and my patients to evaluate. I try to determine, is, is this the result of the remedy or is it the result of a placebo? Because if it's, if it's simply a placebo, then I didn't give the right remedy. And then I have to change remedies. Whereas if it really is the result of the remedy, then I know that I can cautiously repeat the use of that remedy and, and or increase the, the potency of that remedy to have an even long term and deeper effect. So it's super interesting that you have mentioned the way that allergists um try to enhance the immune system in the way that uh, vaccines also try to enhance the immune system and how there's definitely correlations between both of those and yeah. uh, homeopathy. So do you think that there is a place to use homeopathy in, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to replace uh, either of those options? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are um, – you know, learning a lot more about vaccines and there's a lot more people coming out about vaccine injury. So would homeopathy be a good alternative? Yes, it is. Um, and in fact, this being the flu season, a lot of people come to my website at homeopathic.com to get our flu protocol. Uh, because uh, what we do is we use the same three flu viruses that the Pasteur Institute uh, Institute in Paris determines to be the most common flu viruses uh, worldwide. And whereas the common doctors, you know, might insert them in a vaccine and then put mercury in it as an adjunctive agent and formaldehyde and these other agents that um, both preserve and uh, help with the vaccine, the, the big problem that we find is the flu vaccine is known to not work very well. And worse, that, um, in fact, by the way, according to Scientific American, 
which is not any holistic magazine. The Scientific American did a review article in 2012 that said, despite what the media and big pharma says, there's no evidence that vaccines reduce the rate of the flu in infants or in the elderly. And those are the two groups of populations that the CDC most strongly encourages people to do. In fact, there's also evidence that it provides very little benefit to adults. And the fact that they still often include uh, mercury in that vaccine, you know, it's no wonder that there are so many neurological problems that people are getting. And when you read or hear on the media that vaccines are safe, you have to realize that big media is paid big money by big pharma to advertise on news programs. So they begin to own the news. And often, actually, believe it or not, a lot of the, the research that gets done on, on vaccines is without any placebo. They just see that, that yes, it does reduce the incidence of that disease. I mean, that doesn't happen with flu, but it happens with most of these other diseases like uh, mumps, measles, chickenpox, and pertussis, these things. But what they're not really adequately testing is the safety of these vaccines. In fact, one of the most respected scientific and medical journals in the world is called the Cochrane Reports. And in their review of the MMR vaccine safety studies, they describe them as largely inadequate. Largely inadequate was their conclusion. In other words, the, re- the big pharma specifically avoids doing double-blind, placebo-controlled research. And sometimes what they do with the placebo, they don't put just salt water in the placebo. They put mercury or aluminum and formaldehyde and these other toxic substances in the placebo, and they just don't put the pathogen there. So they think that's the placebo because they don't have the disease. But those of us that are concerned about vaccine safety, including the one person that I think, is, as many of us consider the leader of the vaccine safety movement in America, and that's Robert Kennedy Jr. And that Kennedy family has a, a variety of real brave people. But the bravest of them all is Robert Kennedy Jr. because he's going against what many liberal-minded people have assumed to be true. But sadly, uh, this vaccine safety is not true here in America. Yeah, and we don't want to turn this into a vaccine uh, episode. But just for uh, more information on vaccines... um, I think it was back in the 80s, the government passed a regulation where vaccine companies weren't at fault for any damage to anybody's health. Yeah. So that gives vaccine companies the opportunity to produce their um, vaccines without getting sued. So that's yeah. one thing to note. Um, and they do use a t- lot of fear tactics and they definitely split the you know, our country up, you definitely have the anti-vaxxers and then you have the pro-vaxxers and it creates a huge divide. Absolutely. So, and, and they use those fear tactics, like you were saying, with the flu vaccine and um, 
And a lot of their numbers are super skewed. So they'll say like 70,000 people died of the flu last year, but they combine those numbers with people that died from pneumonia and other issues, and they all combine it into the same the same lot. So I like that you touched on the the part that vaccines use um, binders, typically from heavy metals or toxic chemicals, to be able to um, you know, activate the vaccine in the body. So that's definitely a good point for people to recognize. And personally, the last time I got the flu vaccine, which was about nine years ago, that was also the the last time that I got the flu. So, (laughs) you know, it's kind of interesting. (laughs) That's right. So the medicine that we use in homeopathy to help prevent the flu is called influenzinum. And it's three of the most common uh, recent um, flu viruses without any of the additional adjunctive agents. And um, when we sell it at homeopathic.com, we provide the protocol along with it. And it's amazing how many people have said that they used to get the flu very frequently. And especially when they took the flu vaccine, as you may mention, when they're not getting it, when they get the homeopathic remedy. Now, we don't call this vaccination. I want to make that clear. Um, and, and the bottom line is you also mentioned about allergies. And homeopathy has uh, a lot of studies um, that have been published in leading medical journals, including The Lancet, the British Medical Journal and others showing that homeopathic medicines can be very effective in treating different types of respiratory allergies, including asthma, not just a hay fever, not just allergic rhinitis, but even allergic asthma. Yeah, that's really good to know. And what we'll do is we'll put the links to your flu protocol and the product on your website in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 65. So if people are more interested to learn more, then go to the show notes and then you'll find the links right there to uh, learn more. Great. So let's uh, dive a little bit more into homeopathy and how it helps the body to detox. So can you talk about that process? Yeah. Um, There have been a variety of studies, some human but mostly animal studies, showing that homeopathic doses of, let's say, lead can be used if if rats or mice have been exposed to lead. And they, they measure it in their stools, their urine, and even their sweat. And uh, they can see that uh, as compared to the uh, animals given a placebo, there's a significant difference in the uh, externalization of these heavy metals. Um, And that's good to know. And it somewhat makes sense. Because one of the things I didn't mention is, is that the American Chemistry Society publishes a scientific journal called Langmuir. And they published a study by a group of scientists who were studying homeopathic medicines. And they were making six different homeopathic medicines, all metals, gold, silver, copper, tin, zinc, platinum. And uh, they made them in different potencies. And no matter how many times they did these homeopathic dilutions, they use three different types of spectroscopy, which are modern technological uh, ways to measure nanodoses that persist in uh, double distilled waters. 
And uh, all six different metals were found to persist no matter how many times they did these diluting and shaking, diluting and shaking. So um, the trick here is, is that uh, the medicines persist in the water. They, they are, are in these nano doses. They then become much more absorbable because the bottom line is when you overwhelm the body with nutrients, it, it, it simply is not able to take it. And even in natural medicines, you know, we recommend smaller doses of nutrients. So enabling the body to absorb what's being given. Um, so the, the bottom line is, um, uh, if you've been, if you know the specific substance or substances to which you have been, um, exposed, getting a homeopathic dose of that and taking it on occasion. And, and I, I generally recommend that you work with professional homeopaths for this. Um, but you know, if, and when you do this on your own, just make certain that you do different things to, uh, augment the body's liver function, augment the body's kidney function. And that if symptoms do manifest in the process of doing, of doing detoxification, make certain that you don't suppress those symptoms because this is the way the body is trying to to externalize uh, these these heavy metals or pathogens, um, let them come out of the body. Don't push them back in once they're on their way out. Yeah, and working with a professional homeopath, they will be able to dive deeper into um, you you know what you might have been exposed to. So you could have uh, mold in your house, and you don't even think of that. So if you're just going to the store and purchasing, you know, a homeopathic remedy, the professional is going to find a lot more possibilities that you might want to be looking into because they do a much more thorough um, health assessment of what's going right. on with you. So that's that's something for people to know. Well, but, but, well, can but, you? By the way, one other thing, just on that note, is is that. Um, there are now homeopathic medicines, including the, some that I make available, that are homeopathic doses of 40 different types of mold or 40 different types of animal hair and animal dander. Or there's nine different districts in the United States where they put together homeopathic doses of the pollen from flowers, grasses, and trees. And when I say nine different districts, so there's one for California and Oregon and Washington, and there's another one for the Southwest, and there's another one for the, you know, Southeast and Northeast, and there's separate ones for Alaska and Hawaii. And so if you happen to be one of these people that has hay fever or that is allergic to some of the pollen, sometimes taking a homeopathic dose of that particular regional pollen remedy uh, can be wonderfully helpful. Perfect. Well, can you walk us through what a homeopathic treatment might look like? So if a new uh, patient came in to see you, can you walk us through the steps of uh, what you would do to figure out the right protocol for that? Okay, yeah. What, uh, first of all, I see most of my patients these days on Skype or Zoom or WhatsApp. So these are great video apps. I, I can see patients anywhere in the world. Uh, now, 
if I were doing acupuncture, it's hard to do that because you can't do needles through that or you can't do, you know, manipulation or chiropractic manipulation. But homeopathy is an interview process that, and then, um, and then I just send the person the medicine or sometimes they can even get it at the local health food store. But the bottom line is, is that the first interview is often at least one hour. And it's an interview that details out um, uh, whatever symptoms. Uh, it's an interview to explore whatever symptoms the person has. But when a person says they have, let's say, a migraine or they have arthritis, what the homeopath is, isn't interested in, in they're not, we're not interested in the diagnosis. We're interested in the specific way the person has those symptoms. So a person with a migraine might have it on the left side or the right side. They might have it um, uh, that's pounding or it might be throbbing or it might be shooting or it might be just aching. And then some people are sensitive to light. Other people are sensitive to motion. Other people are sensitive to lying down. Other people notice that their headache is worse, you know, uh, when they wake up or in the late afternoon. And so a homeopath makes note of each of these idiosyncratic symptoms. And then the homeopath always asks, what else? What else can you say about uh, whatever symptoms you're having? And what types of things make it better or worse? Not that that problem, you know, if you have a headache and it, it, you're sensitive to light, the solution is not to just live in a dark place. <laughs> The solution is to find a medicine that matches that unique, not just symptom, but the overall syndrome. And so, uh, so it's it's a detailed interview. Like I said, you know, uh, I my interviews are begin at usually one hour. Some homeopaths do interviews that are, last even longer. Um, the follow up interviews usually are much shorter. They could be 10 minutes to 30 minutes, sometimes a bit longer. Um, so the first interview tends to be more expensive when you go to a homeopath because there it is more time consuming. Uh, and as a part of that interview, uh, the homeopath also inquires about what diseases tend to run in the family. And um, um, not only with parents, but grandparents and then uh, brothers and sisters. And so uh, what we're always looking for is idiosyncratic symptoms that really are unique to us. And we all have certain symptoms. Um, and, then, and then after all that, we ask questions about what time of day do they, their symptoms tend to get better or worse? How are their symptoms and how is their whole body influenced by temperature or weather? What foods or drinks tend to create some exacerbation of the symptoms or what symptoms do does that person crave or feel averse to? Because those symptoms are simply a part of a person's life and these ways that you respond to certain foods or I respond to certain foods is all very, uh, that's a part of our, our health and a part of our disease. Awesome. That's a great... Uh way to start working with a new client. And then obviously I'm assuming that um, 
you know, once you establish a protocol for someone, then their need to come back and reassess is dependent upon their symptoms and that's their state absolutely. of health, right? And some, therefore, sometimes we may um, repeat the same medicine or we might give a, a higher potency of the medicine. That means a more dilute dose of it so that it will have an even longer acting effect. Uh, and sometimes uh, we might prescribe a medicine that has what we call a complementary relationship to the first remedy. Because after 200 years, homeopaths have found certain medicines tend to work well one after the other. That there's certain patterns where certain remedies begin certain parts of the healing process and other remedies uh, take it further. And to make even more confusing, there's certain other remedies that don't work well one after the other. So here is where going to um, experienced homeopaths uh, is helpful. Now, I write books, and many of the books I've written teach people how to use homeopathic medicines themselves. And I'm all for that. However, that's mostly, and it really, it's entirely in the treatment of of acute ailments, not chronic ones. So if you have real chronic conditions, this is not something that I recommend you try and self-treat. Awesome. And then you've been doing this a long time. So you've, (laughs) you know, you've gone through people's um, speculation and um, people saying, you know, alternative medicine is wacky and all sorts of stuff. So can you touch base a little bit on uh, some of the most common myths about homeopathy that you see out there? Sure. Um, Well, (laughs) some of the common myths that one is, is that there's nothing in homeopathic medicines. That's that has now been disproven. And anyone who says that um, there's nothing in homeopathic medicines is simply showing that they are not up to date, that they are theorizing, not really being accurate. Uh, second, there's there. On the other hand, there, there's some people in homeopathy that say, if you want to get results with homeopathy, you have to stop drinking coffee or tea or this or that. And what the, the reason why that, they say that is is that there are a small number of of patients that experience the benefits of homeopathy, but then they get these benefits neutralized when they do drink coffee. But we ha- you have to know that that doesn't happen in the vast majority of people. Only a very small minority of people have problems. And the way I've made that determination is that if a patient tells me that they are hypersensitive to coffee, that it either, you know, just a little bit of coffee gives them a headache or a little bit of coffee, you know, creates, you know, you know, an immediate diarrhea, um, that then they may be hypersensitive to coffee. They perhaps shouldn't uh, drink it. But, you know, the bottom line is homeopathy is the leading alternative treatment amongst doctors in Europe. And homeopathy is really popular in France. And there's no way that coffee could be a problem in antidote homeopathic medicines 
because of the hyper-popularity of homeopathy in France itself, let alone in Italy, where cappuccinos are, you know, part of the life, uh, life indeed. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess the other myth about homeopathy is that homeopathy is herbal medicine. It's not herbal medicine. We use plants, we use minerals, we use animals, we use chemicals, we use snake venoms and spider poisons. And so there's a real big difference between herbal and botanical medicine and homeopathic medicine. Awesome. Is there any final um, things about homeopathic medicine that you want to touch on before we wrap up here? Well, you know, I just invite people to my website at homeopathic.com. I have 100 free articles. I also have written 40 articles at the Huffington Post, which I'm very proud of. And if you go to the Huffington Post and do a search under my name, Dana Ullman, you'll find them. And uh, the Joseph Mercola's website, mercola.com. Although 99% of the articles at that website are written by their own staff, he's made an exception for me. He allows me to publish articles on homeopathy uh, and, um, and because he has a deep appreciation for it. And, and he knows that it's a tricky enough subject that he doesn't want his own staff to do that. He, he, they want real experts. So I, I'm honored to be a part of that team that's providing um, a review of conventional medicines and providing real alternatives and describing the science behind them. Now, finally, I guess I should mention one thing. If that people out there really want to take the next step, I've created a, an e-course that is both an ebook and a series of short videos to teach people how to use a homeopathic medicine kit. So if you're a mother or father, if you're a person that, that just wants to treat him or herself and maybe some people in your neighborhood for, for acute ailments, not chronic ones, you're not going to be able to learn to treat heart disease or diabetes or multiple sclerosis. But many of the first aid and what I call second aid thing, first aid is accidents and injuries, and second aid is colds and coughs and flus and and some allergic uh, symptoms and some headaches and PMS, then this course of learning how to use a homeopathic medicine kit can be really wonderful. And um, uh, because just having um, interest in this subject is one thing, but learning to use it is the important thing. And this e-course is a, a blend of, of written information with also references to the scientific literature and, and videos to teach you step by step. Awesome. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 65. Okay, I have one final question. And if you have a morning routine that involves the use of homeopathic remedies to keep you healthy and to help you detox, what is it? Oh, no, there's no daily thing we do in homeopathy. Homeopathic medicines are that. They are medicines. You know, in terms of daily types of things, I do a guided meditation that I like. I, I sometimes do create smoothies where I, I do put green powders in them. And I'm, I'm really big on spirulina and chlorella and wheatgrass powders because those are not vitamins. Those are, those are nutrients. Those are foods. And um, 
And then I also do take a, a telomere uh, nutraceutical because I believe that uh, feeding our telomeres is very important too. Awesome. And I guess we should um, just quickly touch base on the nutrient part. Homeopathy doesn't necessarily provide nutrients. That's what you get from your food. But homeopathy helps to strengthen the immune system, correct? Absolutely. Simple way, good, good differentiation. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dana, so much for coming on. Once again, people can find you at homeopathic.com. Um, and I appreciate you coming on to just bring some light to homeopathy. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but now I feel like I have a pretty good handle on it. So I know my audience will love it as well. So thank you. My pleasure. My real pleasure. Well, there you have it. I hope you now have a better understanding of what homeopathy is. And if you are interested in the flu protocol that Dana was talking about, that will be in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 65. Now, Thanksgiving is only a couple days away. So I hope that you have a great time with whatever you are doing for Thanksgiving. And for Black Friday, I hope that everyone takes a chance to opt outside, follow REI's lead on that, and get outside and enjoy nature. I know that's what we will be doing here. So keep on climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next week.